أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد we continue with our reading of Ibn Rajab Hanbali's Warathatul Anbiya rendered into English by Imam Zayd. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised the rank of the former and the latter and Allah ta'ala give the mercy and the blessings of the awliya to the former and to the latter. Both Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah quote Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu as saying, Indeed, the Prophet ﷺ advised the scholars with good treatment of the students of knowledge. Zir bin Hubaysh came to Safwan ibn Asal, seeking knowledge. Zir said to him, News has reached me that the angels lower their wings to the students of sacred knowledge. Abu Safwan also relates this directly from the Prophet ﷺ. This is one of the things about the translation, uh, interestingly enough, is that the word ilm, is translated as sacred knowledge and the word alim means is translated as religious scholar and uh, who am i to question imam zaid's choice of translation however uh, i think one of the reasons for picking this book is exactly that that why is it that we have to translate ilm as sacred knowledge and not just knowledge and why is it that we have to translate alim as religious scholar and not just a person of knowledge uh, the, you know, the idea is that the history of the Ummah was such that we, uh, you know, we didn't have to make these types of, make these types of specifications. Rather, whoever was whatever in the old days, if they were a doctor, if they were an engineer, if they were a mathematician, all of them, when they would write a book, they would begin it with the Hamd of Allah and the Salat and Salam on the Prophet wasallam, And all of them wrote it for the Ridha of Allah Ta'ala, for the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. All of them could tell you the foundational Masail of Aqidah, the foundational Masail and issues of Fiqh, the foundational Masail of um, of the Arabic language, its grammar and its morphology, its rhetoric. All of them could teach you about logic. All of them could teach you something or another about the Quran and its meanings and the Hadith and its meanings. If you needed somebody to give the khutbah, all of them knew how to do it. If you needed someone to divide your estate, all of them knew how to do it. And then they specialized in their various branches of knowledge. And to them, math was sacred and engineering was sacred and medicine was sacred. Now we have people who have turned the study of 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 uh, the Quran and the Hadith into something mundane, and in some cases, into something profane, and uh, that's why we have to use these qualifiers. And I consider these qualifiers to be a bid'ah, uh, even though it could be necessary because of the su'tafahum, the ill understanding of the people. Uh, however, I'll tell you something without having to name names that there are many people who are extremely famous and extremely wealthy that people would fawn over in order to have them speak at their fundraisers and speak at their masajid. And I know for a fact that these people uh, have told me themselves that they study psychology and marketing uh, just as much as they studied any specialization in the ulum. 
and uh, why blame them? You know, however you are, that's the type of people that will be putting authority over you. So at any rate, coming back to the topic, the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave the people of knowledge from his companions, the wasiyah, the bequest that when the students of knowledge come to you, treat them well. One day people were crowded at the door of Abdullah bin Mubarak, rahimahullah, who said, the students of sacred knowledge deserve the friendship of Allah and eternal bliss. He envied their gathering for this purpose because it leads to eternal bliss. For this reason, Mu'adh bin Jabal who cried as his death drew near and said, I weep at how I will miss feeling thirst from the midday heat from fasting, standing in prayer during the long winter nights, and the crowds of students kneeling around the scholars in the circles of knowledge. You know, what's more sad is not necessarily that these things are gone, but that nobody, uh, there's not even anyone there to yearn for them anymore, except for the elect and select. It is appropriate that the scholars welcome students and urge them to act on what they learn. Al-Hasan al-Basri greeted his students by saying, Welcome, may Allah extend your life in peace, and may He enter us all into paradise. Your seeking knowledge is a good act. If you persevere, are truthful, and are absolutely certain of the reward Allah has prepared for you. May Allah have mercy on you. Do not let your share of this good be such that it enters one ear and passes out the other. One who hasn't seen Sayyidina Muhammad wasallam should know that the Prophet wasallam sees him moving to and fro. The Prophet wasallam did not erect tall buildings. Rather, knowledge was given to him and he dedicated himself to it. Do not procrastinate. Salvation is at stake. What will make you heed? Are you hesitant? I swear by the Lord of the Kaaba, it is as if judgment day is imminent. It's as if judgment day has come upon us. Chapter 2 Paths Leading Towards Sacred Knowledge Let us now begin explaining the hadith of Abu Darda. Whoever travels a path seeking sacred knowledge, Allah will place him on a path leading to paradise. In another version of the hadith we read, Allah will make easy for him a path leading to paradise. Another version found in Muslim related on the authority of Abu Huraira who reads, Whoever travels a path seeking knowledge, Allah will make easy for him a path leading to paradise. Traveling a path seeking knowledge can be understood as literally walking to the gatherings of knowledge. It can also encompass a more general meaning like traveling an intangible path leading toward attainment of knowledge. This includes memorizing, studying, reading, making notes, comprehending, contemplating, and other acts which facilitate learning. This, by the way, uh, this is a really deep point and uh, it's uh, something maybe perhaps the author might be um, might be uh, mentioned later. Uh, it's uh, it's there in the Mishkatul Masabih in the third cha- uh, third bab, uh, uh, I believe, in the chapter regarding the virtues of, of seeking knowledge. Um, that Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu anhuma he mentioned that an hour of reviewing knowledge in the night I consider it to be superior to standing the entire night in prayer. And uh, you know, like I mentioned, whenever I mention this uh, author in public is that you know nowadays there's a bunch of haters who you know think standing the night in prayer is a waste of time those are the people who actually used to stand the entire night in prayer and they knew how much nur and how much barakah came with it and so when they would say it it meant something else 
The Prophet ﷺ's statement, Allah will make easy for him a path leading to paradise, conveys many meanings. Among them is that Allah assists the student of knowledge in his quest, placing him on its path and facilitating his success. In these ways, the path of knowledge leads to paradise. This facilitation is expressed in the statement of Allah exalted. We have made the Qur'an easy to memorize. Is there one who will then be reminded? وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلذِّكْرِ فَهَلْ مِن مُدَّكِرٍ Indeed, it's an emphatic statement. لَقَدْ Both Lam and the Qad are both, uh, are both uh, huruf of ta'kid. It's a double emphatic statement. وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلذِّكْرِ فَهَلْ مِن مُدَّكِرٍ Indeed, we made this Qur'an easy to remember. So is there anyone who will take the remembrance? Regarding this verse, commentators say, Is there anyone sincere in his quest for sacred knowledge that he might be aided in its attainment? Many paths lead to Allah. Among them is Allah's making it easy for the student of sacred knowledge to act on its dictates if he learns it solely for the sake of Allah. Thus Allah will make it the cause of his guidance, will lead him with it, and cause him to act on it. These are all paths that lead to paradise. Furthermore, any student who seeks knowledge for the sake of sincere implementation, Allah will make it easy for him to gain additional beneficial knowledge. This is a path leading to paradise. It is said, whoever acts on what he knows, Allah will bequeath unto him knowledge of that which he does not know. It is also said, the reward of good is the good it initiates. This means, or this meaning, it is indicated by Allah's statement, Allah increases in guidance those who pursue the path of guidance. And similarly, as for those who accept to be guided, Allah increases them in guidance and bestows upon them piety. Whoever searches for knowledge desiring to be rightly guided, Allah increases them in guidance and beneficial knowledge. This type of knowledge obligates righteous deeds. These are all paths that lead to paradise. An additional path is Allah making it easy for the student of knowledge to benefit from that knowledge in the hereafter, to traverse the sirat, and to deal with overwhelming the overwhelming horrors and imposing obstacles which precede it, meaning the day of judgment. Knowledge is the essence of guidance. The reason the path of paradise is made easy for the student of sacred knowledge if he desires Allah and his pleasure is explained as follows. Knowledge directs one to Allah from the most accessible paths. Therefore, one who travels its path without deviating from it reaches Allah and paradise by means of the most direct route. The route leading to paradise or the routes leading to paradise have all been paved for him in this world and the next. As for the one who travels a path without knowledge, thinking it is a path to paradise, he has chosen the most difficult and severe path. Such a person will never reach his destination despite tremendous exertion. And this is important as well. There are many people who have this kind of like phantom uh, uh, thought inside of their head or fantasy inside of their head that somehow uh, the you know learning of sacred knowledge is a waste of time. Uh, or worse yet, uh, many of the people who seem to have come and uh, Im- inhabited these lands and immigrated to these lands, they come from kind of these weird modernist um, type movements or like, you know, quasi-modernist type movements in the Muslim world. Um, many pe- people of whom, I don't know, they, they, they seem to have this idea that the sacred knowledge is a burden, that the tradition uh, is a burden that has impeded Islam from making its progress. And uh, once we've come to America, now we're like in a brave new world where we're going to be able to like use like 
what we learn about chemistry and physics and mathematics in order to make Islam better somehow. And this is like one of the dumbest things I've ever uh, come across in my life. Why? Because the Muslims, uh, uh, you know, their societies were not lacking uh, because, uh, because somehow they needed to like, you know, get a degree, a PhD in physics and like make their societies better. Their societies were thrown into turmoil they were very highly equilibrated and harmonized societies um, that were to a very high degree concerned with living a harmonious life rather than a life of like cancerous progress. Um, meaning, there were masajid, there were endowed positions, there were means to produce the food, there were means to uh, distribute the livelihood, there were very highly refined skills and guilds and uh, trades that people had a very clear and defined path that they could progress in it was a very it was a it was a very highly developed society and they didn't you know they didn't lose their power because of you know some sort of like problem in their moral system they lost their power why because someone sailed across the ocean and like colonized a bunch of lands and took you know huge amounts of gold and silver and invested them into like military uh, ventures, um, uh, many of which were uh, you know aimed at the Muslim world, and so this is a test and it's a trial Allah Subhanahu wa Taala throws at people to see who um, believes and who doesn't. Because when you're on the top of on top of the world, everyone will believe, right? But when it's time to uh, choose, you know. That do you want to hold on to the deen or do you want to run for the dunya? When you have to choose one over the other uh, and you try your best to keep both of them together, which is a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, but sometimes the dasti qudrat, the hand of providence forces you, you know, that you either can choose one or the other. You can't get both cookies out of the jar. You know, which one are you going to choose? And so we have this idea here uh, in America that like somehow this like old ranting of the mullahs and this and that is just going to go ahead and like destroy uh, uh, you guys like it destroyed the Muslims from before you and we need to like somehow leave it and like reinterpret the sources or whatever and so you have this dichotomy like conservative and reformed Judaism both of whom you know choose very different expressions modes of expressions for their Judaism but both of which are like predicated on this idea that like taking uh, precedent uh, in the interpretation of the Torah is uh, not essential and, uh, you know, even the explicit and uh, uh, undeniable commands of the Torah uh, themselves are not something that you necessarily have to take. It's optional. Uh, and, you know, the conservatives, you know, say that like, OK, well, we'll, we'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Whereas the liberals say that, uh, you know, no, like we're not bound to it at all. Like, you know, we're not going to lose any sleep. You can be a Jew and not like believe in God and you can be a rabbi and not believe in God and all these other things. But the, the, the usuli difference is very little between them. It's just a cultural preference that they have. And so like I've had this, I've had this conversation with people before. I remember one time I mentioned in a khutbah that, uh, uh, you know, that I said, uh, uh, you know, that the, the ayah of Surah Al-Qasas, Allah Ta'ala says, uh, And seek uh, uh, for that which Allah Ta'ala has uh, prepared for you in the abode of the hereafter. In the abode of the hereafter, and don't forget your uh, your provision, you know, your your share of provision from this from this world. 
I said that a lot of people I've heard in America, a lot of people say like, see, this is a ayah that says you should balance between the dunya and the akhirah. I go, if you look at the, if you look at the ahd al-sahaba radiallahu anhum, if you look at the age of the companions radiallahu anhum, this didn't seem to be what they interpreted it to mean. They interpreted it to mean something else. Uh, they interpreted it to mean something else. Why? Because they didn't seem all that concerned with their, um, their, their, their dunya. Uh, there were some who were more concerned than others with the affairs of state and with ruling. And uh, even those people, it was because they wanted to uh, further the deen. Each party thought they would be able to serve the deen better than the other. Um, even then, like you see that they lived a life of zuhud. Like, you know, they, li- they didn't leave a, live a life of opulence. Even Banu Umayyah, you know, the opulence and this and that, this happens much later. It's not Sayyidina Uthman and Sayyidina Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. Anhuma that uh, that live that kind of like you know kind of over the top type of lifestyle, um, and so you know um, you know the mufassirun say what that your provision from this world don't forget your provision from this world means don't forget that the only thing you'll take with yourself from this dunya is what is your kafan it's your burial shroud. And I remember uh, in, 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 in a city in California called Davis, uh, where there's a, a, a college, UC Davis, I interviewed to be imam there. It was one of the first places that I interviewed when I came back from Madrasa. And I mentioned this thing in, I mentioned this point in a khutbah. And an uncle came to me uh, from a Muslim country, an Arab uh, uncle from a country. It could be any of them, Arab or non-Arabic. It doesn't really make a difference. There are many uncles of this gents that, that of this genus who would say something like this. And he says to me, he goes, uh, you know, this thing you said, this is excessive. And this is just, you know, the, the Sufis have like corrupted Islam. And like you've just added the corruption of the Sufis. And I'm like, first of all, what's wrong with Sufis? What's wrong with what's wrong with Sufis? I go, second of all, it's not a corruption of Islam. I go, you'll find it in the tafsir of Qurtubi. And he's like, yeah, yeah, he's just all corrupted by Sufis. I said, la hawla wa la quwata illa billah. La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. How someone can say something so jahil. And it's fine, you can disagree with it. But if you want to disagree with it, disagree with it based on some sort of proofs. Don't just be like, oh, Sufi X, done. You know, generations and lifetimes of scholarship that are all like, traced with Asanid, like in the book, you dismissed it as some sort of like, you know, crackpot uncle from like Davis. Uh, so, eh, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do? I don't know. Maybe the uncle is around still. Maybe he's passed from this world. Allah Ta'ala forgive all of us and guide all of us. You know, like what are we going to, we're not going to rip each other apart. We're at the end of the day, we're all the same ummah. But it's indicative of uh, of a hal, of a, a kind of a state of intellectual malaise that's that's there amongst all people, that there are people who are ready to dismiss uh, uh, the knowledge without engaging with it. You understand what I'm saying? Qurtubi isn't a nebi. You know, if you want to like, if you want to dismiss what he has to say, see where did he get it from? You know, I have very little doubt that this tafsir actually is traceable back to, uh, uh, back to the aslaf. Uh, but if you want to, if you want to say this is wrong, you know, go research, bring some proof, you know, or research and, and figure out that you don't have proof or maybe that you were wrong. But if a person doesn't entertain the idea and they just want to like jettison the tradition, you know, just like throw it like it's dead weight that uh, is going to like impede our escape from like ignorance or whatever. Uh, that's that's a problem. What is Ibn Rajab saying here? He's saying the reason the path to paradise is made easy for the student of sacred knowledge, if he desires Allah and his pleasure, is explained as follows. 
Knowledge directs one to Allah from the most accessible paths. From the what? From the most accessible paths. More accessible than fasting, more accessible than praying, more accessible than giving sadaqah, more accessible than establishing the caliphate. Even though all of those things are wonderful, they're beautiful, alhamdulillah, there's zina, there's beauty in them. Uh, and they're definitely mandated parts of the religion. But the highest path and the one that, that's clearest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what? Is, uh, uh, is, is what? Is, is knowledge. Therefore, one who travels its path without deviating from it reaches Allah in paradise by the means of the most direct route. What is he saying? The most direct route. The routes leading to paradise have all been paved for him in this world and the next. As for the one who travels a path without knowledge, thinking... Uh, it is a path to paradise. He has chosen the most difficult and severe path. Such a person will never reach his destination despite tremendous exertion. Which means what? We have a bunch of cats running out, around out there, many of whom are people of, of respect, uh, people who are respected, people who are in positions of leadership, people who are, you know, and they literally, I mean, they do wish good for the deen. It's not like they're sitting at home and being like, how can I jack this thing up? as bad as possible, they genuinely have good intentions. And good intentions are important. Without good intentions, good things can't happen. But good intentions aren't enough to make things bad into something good. So we have these cats, you know, that they have the good intention. But uh, what is it? They have the idea that somehow they're going to get to this goal uh, through some other means. And the thing is this, right? Like imagine some crackpot. You know, there's this crackpot thing going around right now. That, oh, Janab on like May 15th or May 12th or whatever, the star Thuraya will rise, uh, the Pleiades will rise. And there's a hadith in Sahih Bukhari um, in which the Prophet ﷺ mentions that like the, the aha, the like some sort of like pestilence that affected a particular crop goes away uh, when the star Thuraya rises, you know, which is, you know, the, 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 the moving of the stars. Uh, can chart the seasons uh, uh, for the person who is an expert at seeing uh, 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 the, the you know the movement of celestial bodies. That you know there's this crackpot theory that's making the uh, rounds in the internet. Um, unfortunately, uh, egged on by a number of self-promoting and uh, a number of, of kind of like drama buzz showmanship type people who are you know trying to make some sort of like clickbait with a turban and beard. Uh, type of scenario go on that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned about a particular pestilence that hit hits a crop that um, that that when the star Pleiades rises that pestilence will go away and the point of it is what when the weather changes then you'll see you'll see that like the you know that pestilence will no longer affect the crop that's all it's just a, a point of traditional tribal knowledge that the Arabs had. And he was just mentioning it, you know, just like a home remedy. Many of the the, the medical, uh, many of the medical uh, prescriptions of the Prophet ﷺ are what these are the traditional remedies and medicines of the Arabs. And he would you would tell somebody just in good faith, you know, like you have this problem, then take this medicine and it'll help you. Uh, you know, if you have thatul jamb or whatever, you know, like this this is the the treatment for it or iktiwa or all these, you know, there are many things like that that he used to just. Uh, shared the remedies and this is there's a chapter or a kalam about this that Shah Waliullah uh, shares in his uh, Hujjatullah and no one like can in earnest uh, uh, you know accuse Shah Waliullah of, uh, of not valuing the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or of you know somehow 
somehow not respecting it. He's the one through which all the hadith, the asanid of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ are transmitted today. Illa mashaAllah, uh, I would say at least a conservative estimate is like 85% of them in the world. So, uh, so you know, this person is saying, look, this hadith is saying that the aha will go away. And because of that, inshallah, by May 15th, this coronavirus will go away or it will be severely uh, cut back, dialed back. Now, how stupid is that? How stupid is that to take something not only out of context, but more, more stupid than that is what? Is that you're willing to sit and say a statement on behalf of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam without knowledge, you're making a, a, a claim about medicine. A claim about medicine, that this epidemic will go away by a particular date. And you're saying it on the authority of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now, either you're uh, just making conjecture, and making conjecture about deen is highly problematic. It's highly problematic. It's one of the sifatul kuffa, uh, sifat of the kuffar in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In whom illa yadhunnun. It's just their dhan. That's the, the, the kuffar, they speculate about deen and they talk about it as if it's a certainty and it's just their dhan, it's just their speculation. Uh, what if uh, whatever May comes and goes and we're June 1st and the numbers of people infected and dying from Corona are increased. Are you ready to say that the Prophet Sallallahu was wrong? If not, then maybe you should shut up. Maybe you should say this is what it seems like to me or maybe this is, you know, hopefully inshallah it'll be like this. Maybe you should say, uh, you know, I, you know I, I have this like idea that came to my mind. But don't say that this is what the hadith means. Now, it is clear for people who are highly trained in the material sciences that using ancient religious scripture in order to describe the physical world around you, using an ayah of the Qur'an as a quote-unquote proof that the earth is flat, even though we can literally see it from, from space that it's spherical or spheroid at any rate. There are people, by the way, that do that. There are people who are alive that do that. Some of my teachers actually did it. And you know what? I, you know, some of them are very expert in certain fields and certain sciences. And I learned those sciences from them. And I don't really give much heed to what their opinion about geography is. Just like it's silly, it's stupid for a person to take a verse of scripture and use it to prove that the earth is flat or take a verse of scripture and use it to prove something about physics or use you know a verse of scripture and use it to prove something about uh, about math or use a verse of scripture and use it to prove something about something you know from the material sciences first of all it is a a, a lack of understanding what the point of scripture is that 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 scripture came down to teach mankind that which he knew not. Meaning those things that you can put two and two together and look at it. That's, that's not the point of, uh, of revelation to tell you about the things that you could have figured out anyway on your own. The point of revelation is to teach you about the unseen, about those things that you would have never been able. The things that a person didn't know and the things that a person doesn't know and the things that a person doesn't would never know if it wasn't for the fadl of Allah coming down on them. And those occasional uh, scenarios and situations where it seems to a person when they read a particular sentence, the meaning that comes to their head first is something that is 
that is like physically impossible based on empirical or rational uh, uh, understanding of the world around us, then what was the methodology of our ulama is what to say that my understanding is wrong. This, the, the ayah is not talking about what I thought it was talking about. It's talking about something else. And this happens all the time that the ayah seems to be saying one thing. And then when you go to or the hadith seems to be saying one thing. And when you go to the, you know, fuqaha, the ulama, you realize, you know, like it was just your bad. Right? Uh, Al-Khattabi, rahimahullah ta'ala, the canonical commentator on Abu Dawood. He says that one of the muhaddithin he used to read from, who was a man of prolific memory, obviously muhaddithin don't go to like people who are not good in hadith in order to learn hadith from them. Um, and so uh, he noticed that the shaykh would, uh, you know, pray salatul with her after coming back from the bathroom. Anytime, day or night. And so he's, you know, after a while he's like, this is kind of weird, like why do you do this? He goes, don't you know the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu the person that the person who the person who wipes his private parts with stones, you know, to clean them, let them let them make witter. And Khattabi says, Shaykh, I think the meaning of this is not that they should pray salatul witter, but the meaning of this is that they should use an odd number. Because the word witter is literally means odd number, and then we use it then afterward to uh, describe the salatul witter, which is a salat in which there's an odd number of raka'at. So the Shaykh is like, Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Jazakallah khair. Now he's not going to be like, he's not going to cop an attitude and be like, oh look, uh, uh, <laughs> you're going against the hadith of the Prophet No, he's humble enough to admit he thought it meant something, but it really means another. And so this is a principle, this is a principle of, of, of hermeneutics, of, 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 of understanding uh, the sacred texts of Islam, that if it is a text which is transmitted uh, with qat'iyyatul uh, thubut and that if it's uh, uh, transmitted with um, with solid uh, with solid thubut uh, 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 like that it is solidly transmitted from Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and we have no doubt that it actually is attributable to Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. if its meaning seems to go against something that is like completely like rational like something that's rationally necessary or again something that's empirically observed like a hundred percent to be uh, uh, like a verity then we say you know what we probably just understood this thing wrong and we'll look for the correct meaning of it now this this much what I just said there are probably a million uh, a million people who are like trained in materialist uh, in material uh, sciences and material branches of learning if they were to hear what I was saying, it's like, yeah, stupid mullahs, they should know that. Yeah, stupid mullahs, they should know that, right? And maybe some, you know, the word, by the way, mullah is not, uh, it's now become like a cuss word. The word mullah in the old days used to be, uh, uh, you know, only reserved for the greatest of the scholars and the greatest of the ulama. And this is a weird post-colonial or like in Afghanistan's uh, 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 in Afghanistan's instance because they weren't colonized but post like communist uh, propaganda where they make this word mullah into you know some sort of farce of like some sort of ignorant backwards person like mullah azu like mullah jivan mullah ali al-qari these are big people these are people who are learned in mathematics and material sciences as well as uh, as well as the, the sciences of revelation but you know i'm saying in the in the in the in the uh, Lampooned joke version of mullah. They say, "Yeah, stupid mullahs. They should know this that you don't use the Quran to like tell you about physics. You don't use the Quran to tell you about, 
uh, about engineering or about chemistry or about math or whatever. Well, what about the other way around? What about those people who try to interpret the, the, the Quran without learning anything about it whatsoever and try to interpret deen based on their understanding of material things? Whereas the whole point of Islam is what? الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ Like the first description of the believers in the Quran is what? That they're the ones who believe in the unseen. They're the ones who believe in the unseen. Unseen means what? Those things that math is not going to teach you about. Those things that chemistry is not going to teach you about. Those things that physics is not going to teach you. But everybody knows they exist. Everybody knows a human being has a spirit inside of them. Everybody knows that there's more to life than material things. If you think that those statements are not true, that the only thing in this world is material things, and the only thing that's in this world is uh, um, is, is your physical body, and there's no such thing as ruh, and your consciousness is just an accident of like neurons and neurotransmitters and like electrical shocks going up and down your spinal cord and nerves, um, and, and, and you know like sponge-like matter of your brain, then why do you waste your time with Islam in the first place? Why be on the masjid board? Why be like, you know, uh, the naqib in mass? Or like, why be, why be any of those things? Why, uh, uh, you know, why, why, why join the Hizb tahrir Or why join the Tabligh Jamaat? Or why join any of these things? And then sit there and then afterward, pass judgments on the interpretations of the Book of Allah and the Hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Or even on the meanings of the Book of Allah and the Hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Or on the sacred law. If you want to pass judgment on them, be my guest. But actually go ahead and learn them first is just as silly as a, a, a person who reads the Quran and the Hadith and nothing else and then starts commenting on physics and medicine and chemistry is just as silly as what? As uh, 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 the, the materialist person who has high training in materialism then go and start commenting on. Uh, on the law and on the creed of Islam and on the hadith of the Prophet and on the uh, uh, on the uh, uh, um, spiritual verities of Islam, and this is a, a ancient piece of hikmah, ancient piece of hikmah. The, the they say that the Nim Hakim Khatraya Jan Nim Mullah Khatraya Iman, that the 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 half the half. Uh, uh, doctor, the one who learned a little bit but doesn't really isn't really like properly trained in medicine, that person is a danger to your life. And the Neem Mullah, uh, the person who learned a little bit about Deen but doesn't really know what they're talking about, never really took training, will pass judgment on things without reading or without uh, trying to understand. That person is a, a khata. That person is a, a danger to your uh, to your iman. And uh, look look where how far we've come. From the state of our forefathers, because the funny thing is that many, you know, there are many people who uh, fit this profile, and they'll quote Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Al Qayyim, uh, uh, who are Ibn Rajab's mashayikh, and they'll misquote them like through the through the roof, through the nose. I'll be honest with you; I'll admit to you. You know, I didn't study in uh, in this tradition, in the Hanbali tradition, in particular the Taymiyyah tradition. I didn't study in it, and many of its uh, uh, functions are somewhat of a mystery to me. And they don't like the parts that I understand. Some of them. Uh, don't make sense and that's not our tradition whoever learned in that tradition Allah Ta'ala give them barakah and uh, there are our Muslim brothers and we love them and we hope for the best uh, uh, for Islam from them and uh, uh, for them from Islam uh, but that being said look this is what Ibn Rajab is saying he says as for the one who travels a path without knowledge thinking it's a path to paradise he has chosen the most difficult and severe path 
Uh, such a person will never reach his destination uh, uh, despite uh, 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 tremendous exertion. And this is exactly, unfortunately, unfortunately, the, the era that we live in, this uh, dichotomy of the person of knowledge having the easiest path to Allah and the person without knowledge having the most perilous path to Allah, this is exactly diametrically flipped. So we have now like large numbers of people who are in important positions when it comes to the public life of the deen and the public life of the Muslims, the uh, political ascendancy, economic ascendancy. And what is their idea? Their idea is that the knowledge of religion is an impediment and the less that you have, um, the more you're going to be able to do something good for Islam. And the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, Lack of knowledge is, is, is going to help you and the amount of knowledge that you have, the more you're burdened with, you know, so-called so dogma and, and tradition, uh, the more the path forward is going to be perilous for you. And this is manifested in the Battamizi and the, the sheer just like qillatul adab that the people have for the ulama. It's one thing if a particular alim, you know, I've called out particular madrasa graduates and people of knowledge before for things that I, I think that they've said and done as ludicrous. But I've never issued a statement, look, all the ulama are like this, all the mulvis are like that, all the mullahs are like this, all the mullahs are like that. Why? Because the only person who could do that is a person who thinks that this knowledge or the institutions that teach this knowledge are going to somehow uh, set someone backwards. And uh, this is Ibn Rajab, one of the great muhaddithin of a very different strand of the tradition than the one that, that, that we studied in. But this is just common currency between, between all parts of Islam in the, uh, in the pre-modern era and all the scholarly parts of Islam uh, uh, in this uh, particular era that haven't bent toward uh, heresy uh, 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 and haven't bent toward uh, uh, heterodoxy, which is what we all agree the more you study, the more you learn, the better it's going to be for your deen uh, and not worse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, you know, rectify this misunderstanding in the minds and the hearts of our uh, of our brothers and sisters whether they be uh, whether they be the students of knowledge or the teachers of knowledge or whether they be the uh, uh, the, the custodians of the political life of the Muslims or the economic life of the Muslims or the social life of the Muslims or the media or uh, uh, you know whatever other uh, critical control points there are in the life of the ummah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open people's eyes and open people's hearts to understanding this, that by look, the more knowledge you have, the more you'll understand and the easier your path to Allah Ta'ala will be. Just like people say, well, there are people of knowledge who are screwed up people, right? Why are they screwed up? Is because you can see, you can see clearly this person is far from Allah. There are people like that throughout the entire history of Islam, there are people like that. The Quran mentions Qarun as a person in the, in, in, in the Surah Al-Qasas, uh, who was a, a man of from Banu Israel, a man of knowledge, and the people could see that this man was far, far, far from Allah, right? It's the fur, farness from Allah that allows even an unlearned person to see that these corrupt scholars are nowhere good. The idea is what? It's not the knowledge that made him far, it's some other defect in him that you see the knowledge, but you don't see the other defect. What I'm saying is this, is that people defects, whatever they have or whatever they may have, put those things to the side. The knowledge in and of itself will, in an increase in knowledge, bring you closer to Allah, or will it bring you further, take you further from Him? It will bring you closer. Although there are particular defects that might, like uh, you know, slash the tires of that car still, but it's not the fault of the knowledge; it's the fault of the 
other defect. Otherwise, it's ludicrous to think that somehow the less knowledge about something you'll have, the, the more you'll know about it. That doesn't even make sense. That's not You don't have to be a Muslim or, or a fanatic or whatever to understand. That doesn't make sense in any uh, way, shape, or form. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala returned this common sense to us and to this ummah wa sallallahu tabarak wa ta'ala wa sallam ala sayyidina muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.